Let's pray. Father, thank you that you chose to make yourself present in your son Jesus to show up so we could know your heart and see you displayed among us in a way that we can understand and and be in touch with. God, I pray that you would show up again as you already have this morning. But more importantly, that we would show up, that I'd show up as best I can to deliver this and that your spirit through me would be present and that, God, you might speak to our hearts about areas where we can just be more aligned with you and your grace, your love, and your truth, that we might be present with those we love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm in a series called Turning Houses into Homes, and we saw houses going up like crazy, and then now we saw the market of the houses fall and collapse and everything else. And at the same time, as we built houses, which I think is kind of an interesting thing, we've seen collapse of many what I call homes, where um, the family is just not connected and meeting and present in a way that makes a difference in one another's lives. There's a very interesting article that was put out a number of years ago, um, kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing by the United States Chamber of Commerce. They published this kind of facetious bits of advice, and they entitled it, How to Raise Your Child to Be a Delinquent. And they give these little bits of advice, and that's where I got the message today, how to, how to raise a rebellious child. And, and they give a few, and I'll just give a few. When your kid is still an infant, give him everything he wants, This way he'll think the world owes him a living when he grows up. Avoid using the word wrong. It will give your child a guilt complex. You can condition him to believe later when he is arrested for stealing a car that society is against him and he's being persecuted. Never give him any spiritual training. Wait until he's 21 and and let him decide for himself. This is the Chamber of Congress of the United States. Go ahead, pick him up after, go pick up after him his books, shoes, clothes, do everything for him so he'll be experiencing throwing all responsibility onto others. And it just lists a number of things. What I find is interesting is you read through some of the, the books of the Bible, there's a few letters that Paul wrote, and he just gives short snippets of what I call advice, not facetious, but advice to help us raise children that are respectful and loving and full and eventually mature. So this week, I just want to spend some time on on that little bit of advice that he gives, which he gives in in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's from the New International Version. The New American Standard Version puts it this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He was also um, writing to the church in Colossae. He would write other letters. And and so in a parallel passage, when he wrote to another church and he came to that point where he started giving what I call household directions, family directions, he writes something very similar. He says in chapter 3, verse 21 of Colossians, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The idea is that their spirit will become crushed. The idea is that through frustration and through feeling 
embittered as a result of what's going on in the relationship that they have with you as a father, and we can broaden that to parents, there will be this sense of crushing that will come out in ways that will cause pain. There's a number of ways that I think you can embitter or provoke or you can actually um, exasperate a child. But I'm going to share with you one fundamental way and then share with you three ways underneath that. And the very fundamental way that I think you can exasperate a child is by just not showing up in their life. You might say, well, what does that mean? We'll get into that in a second. But let me give you an idea of how it's easy to become embittered, how it's easy to become exasperated when you don't show up. Ever have someone tell you they would like to meet you? They'll meet you at a certain time and you, you kind of get that in your calendar and you, you, you get to that place and you wait and the person, after five minutes, ten minutes, doesn't show up. You try and connect them, you can't get a hold of them. And you kind of go, okay, you know, it's the first time you're an adult. You know, things happen. You start, you know, if you're, you know, you're hopefully not getting mad at them. You start going, I hope something didn't happen that was horrible to them, etc. So then you kind of remake that appointment and you, you say, let's meet. And, and you set up the expectations again and you set up the time and you meeting place and you get there and you wait five minutes. Now, now the ten minutes feels like forever from the last time, right? And then again, they don't show up. What do you begin to feel? Frustration. Exasperation. You start to kind of wonder about this. So then you, let's say the person's really apologetic. I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm really going to be there. Just, you know, this happened, that happened. And you have all these things that supposedly could be true. And so you set up the time to meet again and they don't show up a third time. Now you start saying three times that's kind of a pattern. Right? And what happens is now your exasperation, your frustration, um, that feeling of potential embitterment begins to develop. And you feel disrespected. You feel maybe that you're not significant and important enough in their eyes for them to hold to a commitment to be present when they said they would be present. And you're an adult, right? As an adult, you have the ability to make other choices. You can look at that and go, you know, this person's got a problem. I just will put up some boundaries and not make appointments with them. I mean, there's lots of ways you can begin to kind of externalize, not take to yourself those feelings. But think of a child. Does not have the experience, the maturity, the understanding, the insight to be able to understand when a parent isn't present and doesn't show up in their life, which is the very nature in some ways of parenthood. And so you don't show up, you're not present in some ways in their life, and over a period of time it creates frustration and exasperation and it causes feelings of embitterment and you begin to start seeing these things develop in a child. And a child doesn't have the ability to externalize it and go, my mom and dad have a problem. They obviously had a dysfunctional family. Right? It's kind of supposed to be a little funny. But anyway, so you got a little kid. Are you awake? Anyway, you got a little kid. They can't do that. They're feeling disrespected. They're feeling insignificant. They're feeling unimportant. They're feeling worthless. These are feelings they have, and they internalize them. And that internalization comes out in different ways. One, is the, one of the ways is sometimes it comes out in rebellion because if, if you can't get true affection, you go to the second cousin called attention, right? So there are three ways that I want us to look at. When Paul says, be careful, parents, 
Be careful, and I want to stretch this to grandparents. I want to say this now because I forgot to say it in the first service and I wish I would have. The person who had the most significance in my life spiritually was my grandmother. I just want to say to some of your grandparents, don't ever think the role you play is some minimal babysitting thing. And so, be careful, parents, grandparents, leaders, husbands, wives. Show up. Parents, I don't think anyone sets out to be a bad parent. I really doubt people sit down and dream about being a poor provider for their children's physical well-being, their emotional well-being, and their spiritual well-being. But unbeknownst to us, often because of what I call complicated motives and fears and 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 these underlying realities that we've been raised with and the needs that we have, what can happen is we're driven by those things and we then don't show up sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, and sometimes spiritually. And the three things I want to talk about showing up is those three things. Will I be physically present? Will I be emotionally present? Will I be spiritually present? If you want to raise a rebellious child, then the first thing is be, be, be physically absent. Be physically absent. On the important occasions of their life, when there's those significant occasions, be away to something on a regular basis that is more important than them. In fact, when you have those one-of-a-kind Kodak moments, don't get fooled into thinking, well, someone take the pictures for me and I'll just watch them later. Recognize the fact that one-of-a-kind Kodak moments are the kind of things that don't get captured sometimes on film, but they're the things that captured in the memory of your mind at a moment that was spontaneous that no one could ever capture on film and miss it. There's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, I could list a bunch of them. Be away enough to miss those what I call spontaneous heart-to-heart conversations. Now, I want to say very clearly, especially parents who are young as they're building, you know, husbands, fathers who are building careers, I, this is not an easy thing. I'm not saying there's some, you know, cookie-cutter way of doing it. I am just saying make certain that when you look at your life, what I would like for us to do is to just stop, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, what is your presence in their life, just physically? What does it mean for you to be present? Choose to do so. Because life is about relationships. I have, I have stood beside the beds of people who are dying, both men and women. Fathers and mothers, grandparents. Not once have I heard any of them ever say, I wish I'd have spent more time at the club, I wish I'd have spent more time at work, I wish... It's always about relationships. So just show up physically. Be present in the life of those that you love. That could be all kinds of different people, but specifically this morning, we're talking about parents. If you look at Jesus, Jesus is so cool. What I love about Jesus is he is the picture of the heart of God. He's we're called the Word, which a word is the expression of what's on his heart. And so you have this picture of Jesus who, when you look at his life, he was present with those throughout his life that were important to him. For instance, 
When he was 23, 24, do you think he was ready to change the world? Most 23, 24, 25-year-olds can't wait to get out of the house to make a difference in the world they live. But his father said, no, I want you to be present. I want you to be fully present emotionally, spiritually, in every way with those whom I've placed around you so that your brother James and others who will someday lead the church have your presence I want you to care for your mother during this time. And so finally at age 30, he's released. And then when you look at his life, it's so cool as you watch his life, the people that he drew around him, specifically 12, which he prayed about and chose, he spent time with them. In fact, one of the the greatest compliments come after he has died and resurrected and ascended, and his followers, those who walked with him, are in a position where the, the religious leaders of their day want to arrest these two guys, Peter and James. And, and listen to what it says in Acts chapter 4. It says these, these leaders, these religious leaders, that they looked at these disciples of Jesus, they paid him a backhanded compliment when they said they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That taught a bunch of head knowledge. They had been, so that through his presence, their life had been changed. His life had rubbed off. God's word says that there is a right time for everything. We need to pay attention to those times. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. He says there's an opportunity to do things, a right time for everything on earth, a time for birth, another for death, a time to plant and to reap. I could go on. You see all these. You could add your own. There's a time to parent and a time to grandparent. There are windows of opportunity in every season of life for you to show up in relationship to those you love. And you you need to know what those are. You know, sometimes when you, there's just what I call, um, people miss these windows of opportunity. Sometimes in, in youth, I was sharing in the first service, and we had a number of high school students up in this section over here, and I, I, there's this, this time where you have this immortality of adolescence. Like, you're invincible, you can do everything. There's this window of time where life seems to be forever. Well, you know what? There's what I call in parenting, especially when kids are little, there's what I call this this illusion of endless parenting. This sense that you're going to have another day. Tomorrow isn't going to, you know, there's still another tomorrow. And in some ways, that illusion might be real because, you know, in my case, kids go off to college and then they come back home and there is more than an illusion. But I remember one time in my, my ministry, my daughters were 8 and 10, and I was preparing on stuff on the family and it was at that time God kind of began to work some of these concepts into my life, and I began to say, I'm in this season of life where my daughters are 8 and 10, and it was just so crystal clear to me. It was like God said, Kevin, you have a window of opportunity over the next five years. Because you know when a kid gets about 14, 15, they want to be with their peers. They're so involved in sports. There's so many things going on, it's hard to take and pull them out of life. And I remember thinking to myself, i got, I got about five years where we can do these road trip vacations. Right? And not every kid loves those road trip vacations. But I remember um, how important they were to me, even though at times they're tough even as a kid. Because I realized that in those road trip vacations, 
It was there that in the midst of that long trip, you had great conversation with your parents or with your kids. I want you to think for a second. What season are you in and what is the window of opportunity before you? Whether you're a young parent, you're a parent of teenagers, you're a parent of kids going off to college, getting married, going into a career, having their own kids. So I'm not just talking parents, all the way up to grandparents. What does it mean for you to be present? There's a, a thing that I learned is a, is a parental tip that I think is really a, a wise thing. There was a time, especially a number of years ago, where there was this idea that you have quality time. As long as you spend quality time with your kids. Remember that? And so then you would plan these quality time moments and they would usually be frustrating because the kind of quality you hoped for didn't show up. Right? Anybody else done this? Is there something... And so, I remember coming to the understanding, I heard someone say this to me, and it made so much sense. Kevin, quality time is an accident of quantity time. Just think of church, for instance. Involvement, whether it's in a church service or in a small group. You can't just plan quality times. You do it repeatedly, and when you do it repeatedly, there's times when you are present and God is present in a way that is just life-changing. Think about that with your kids. I say to young parents or whatever season of life you're in, you need time with them. You need to make sure you schedule time to read to them when they go to sleep at night. You need to take time to be with them and not just you know, the quality time moment you set aside, but enough time where you can actually have those kind of meaningful, life-changing experiences. And you have to realize this. What you consider quality may not be for you, but may be incredibly impactful for them. For instance, I, I read um, a, a years ago of a man named Boswell. He was the biographer for Mark Twain. He was, he was a well-known man in his, in his time. He had written other biographies and written lots of things, and he was a good public speaker, and he would go to different places and he would speak. And so this, this Boswell um, would often refer, when he would go to speak and the things that he had written about, about a certain day in his life that was so meaningful and so, had so much impact on him that he would, he would often share that in different settings. He talked about this one day that he had been with his father, had spent time with his dad, well, at one point, after Boswell had passed away and a person was doing research and work on his life, he kept coming across this one momentous day in his life. And as he did that, he found out that Boswell's father had a diary. And he kept this diary journal every day. So this person who's doing this work on Boswell and is so impressed with Boswell's reference to this one day decides to look at that day that he would talk about and looked it up in Boswell's father's diary. Recorded in his diary, that most impactful day in Boswell, this young boy's life. This is what his dad writes. Went fishing today with my son. A day wasted. Ouch. That's painful. But I only say that, parents, you have no idea... The time that you're spending and the significance it may have in another person's life. 
You have no idea the time you're spending at work with someone as you listen to them and the impact it may have on their life. You need to realize, we need to understand that physical presence, this quality kind of relationship where people show up heart to heart, often just doesn't happen. It happens as an accident because there's quantity time spent with another person. And so I ask you, what are the windows of opportunity? that are in your life right now with those you love. There's another thing that uh, I believe Paul intends by saying this exasperation is because it's not just that he didn't physically show up. Let's say, you know, you have these appointments and you're an adult waiting and they don't show up. What, what's even deeper than that is their emotional absence, right? Be with your child, not just in body, but in spirit, emotionally. If you want to raise a rebellious child, just be disengaged. You can be present. You can be about the house. In fact, you can begin to be present in such a way that they don't even feel your presence because you're not emotionally engaged. And if you do that, parents, grandparents, you will actually model for them what they will do themselves. And so I think Paul is saying not only be physically absent, but be emotionally absent. Don't listen with your heart. Don't listen to their heart. Don't understand, but instead give quick solutions. Give head answers to whatever's going on in their life. When they're deeply in a time of struggle, rather than being with them and, and being emotionally engaged, just kind of in your mind go, that's just a little thing, and let them feel it. Jesus was incredible again. When you look at his heart and you see the heart of the Father, he was one of the, emotional, the, the most emotionally present persons that ever lived. When he was with people, he was fully engaged. He would experience compassion. When he saw a group of people and he was tired and drained and his disciples said, let's get out of here, he looked at them and saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what he meant by that is that physically they didn't have the food they needed to make it back to their villages. He was so moved by compassion, he was so emotionally engaged, even with a crowd, that he was present with them. He would, he would listen carefully to people. You ever, you just look at Jesus would, would be able to hear into the hearts of people. That's why I believe he was able to help so many people. And not only did he listen, but he actually touched people tenderly. He'd reach out to them in their need and responded, in fact, with anger when it was appropriate. You know, it's really interesting about the anger of Jesus. The anger of Jesus, when you look at it, it's, it's never really about his own personal needs. It's always about someone getting in the way of a person's own um, need, God's presence to them. Um, in some way, their rights, their respect. It was always about justice kind of things. So it was always about his need to bring mercy and to stand up for someone who couldn't stand up for themselves. We have all kinds of ways we can teach our children. When I think of emotional presence, I think of entering into another person's world. And, and that, doesn't that happens easily for some people. There are people who are gifted with this deep sense of mercy, you know, empathy, all those things. I, you know, I talked about strength finders a number of weeks back, and those are all the low ones on my scale, but it doesn't give me a pass. It doesn't give you a pass. To emotionally enter another person's world, whether it be your spouses or whether it be your child or whether it be um, your grandchildren, it means to be present with them in a way that they experience your emotions in your true heart and their heart. Doing silly things like I remember doing with my girls 
as a dad playing house, dressing up in, in weird things, so that I could be present with him. It means jumping on a tramp with him when you come home and you're tired and you don't want to engage necessarily, but it means that you go that extra step and you say, I'm going to be engaged with you. I'm going to enter your world. It means sitting with them at bedtime when you would rather be watching the football game and just say, go to bed. It may mean sitting down and just being present with them. I found as a dad that the, the, most, the most meaningful times when my daughters would engage with me, now they engage with mom when they came home from school and other things like that, but for me, it was at bedtime. Because they never wanted to go to sleep and they knew I was a softie. Um, <laughs> So how do you enter someone else's emotional world? Husbands, how do you enter your wife's emotional world? Parents, how do you emotionally enter into your children's world? Grandparents, how do you enter into your adult child world? Into your grandchildren's world? What does it mean? What does it look like? I don't have those answers, but you knew. God is so incredibly good. He, He gives us those kind of things when we get serious about them. And then let me just share one last thing. Be spiritually absent. If you really want to raise a rebellious child, I really believe that. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, underline, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That instead statement is really important because after he says this exasperation, it leads to frustration that, that kind of builds the flames of anger that begin to be hot, white hot rage and come out in kind of ways that you, you, that you don't want. He gives you, here's an instead. The instead statement is this. Bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. And and, and you need to understand, this is a a loaded, packed statement. Because what we normally think is, oh yeah, sit down with them. Make sure they get to Sunday school. Make sure they get to midweek club. Make sure they do all those things. You know what? Paul in his day didn't have midweek kids clubs. He didn't have youth programs. Um. Maybe in some of those places where the synagogue was well-developed, they may have had some things for kids. But whenever you look at the study of how a Hebrew person would raise their child, it was their responsibility, not the communities. The community assisted. It did things like we do where we prayed a moment ago and we asked God to bless them and we involve ourselves in their lives, which are all important things to do. But when Paul says, bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord, he's using the word Lord here purposely. He's saying Jesus. He's saying train and instruct them in the same way that you see Jesus live before the Father and the way that Jesus expressed the Father's heart. You live that way. And as you live that way, you will make a difference in their heart. People immediately go, to, oh yeah, we've got to maybe do devotions or do these kind of things. With them. I'm not saying those aren't good, but I'm saying the most important thing, when he says training and instruction of the Lord, he is specifically talking about the fact that you need to know so much so the training of the Lord in your heart, just like it says in De- Deuteronomy, that everywhere you go, these principles are living within you in such a way, they are so attractive, they are so much a part of you, that they begin to flow out of you, and they are applied so that your children can look at it and go, wow. And they see Jesus. And that's your responsibility. You know what's really, really cool about children? One of the things that I think is so exciting about them is that God has hardwired all of us with a capacity to know and to love and to long for Him. But you know what? 
In children, you see it in its purity. You see the the humbleness of a child. You see the child who um, is just simple and plain and direct. And you see this child full of wonder. They are like a sponge. Just think of those first years. They are learning things and taking things in. They're watching things. They're actually listening and hearing language and beginning to reproduce that very language. They have the capacity to hear the language of the heart of God in your heart if you're living that way. And they will then be able to take that in and translate that through their life. That is what Paul is saying when he says training and instruction of the Lord. He's not saying, okay, now you sit down and drill this into him. He's saying, so live in such a way that those truths and principles come out. And they'll come out in those specific ways You'll know when those moments are, but they're more about the heart relationship you have with God, living in His grace, knowing what it means to walk in truth. And they are like little sponges, and they're looking at you, and they begin to see it, and they want to translate it into their experience. And that's why he says, live in such a way that you're physically present, that you're emotionally engaged with them, so that you are spiritually alive, because when you're that way, it will translate into this child. And the most important, the most important baton that you're going to pass down to your kids is not some inheritance. It's not some kind of training of skills that they're going to have in a, in a work field. Those are all good things. But the most important baton in this relay of, of life where you go from one generation to the next generation is what you give to them in their capacity to know the Father in Heaven and to relate to that Father in a way that they are engaged with Him. Showing up. And... Uh, and that's one of the things, you know, in a few years back in my life when God was dealing with trying to uh, work through the dysfunctional stuff in my own heart and life. And I was going through all kinds of different things, through scripture and through even through therapy and different things that God was working out in my life. Because I want so badly to be a growing person knowing God. And I was working through all that stuff. One of the things I began to realize is how important it is to show up in life in relationships. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. But when you fail to do it, the cost is great. It's not a little thing. Let me read to you the story of a, of a son named Julian Lennon. Julian Lennon, a number of years ago, back about ten years ago, recorded and released a bunch of music. His father was John Lennon of the famous Beatles. And he had just come out with his CD. And um, the interviewer who was meeting with him assumed that his father, one of the Beatles, you know, had taught him some of the stuff that he knew and what he was doing. And Julian's response to the interviewer's questions, I think, are terribly revealing, sad, and insightful. He says, in response to his father's relationship to him, The only thing my dad taught me was how not to be a father. The article states that the anger, exasperation, is helping Julian come to terms with his lineage, his father and mother. Both his father and mother, Cynthia, split when he was five. Julian saw his dad another dozen times or so. Julian says, my dad walked out the bloody door and was never around. 
I'd admire him on TV, listen to his words and opinions. But for someone who was praised for peace and love and wasn't able to keep that at home, that's hypocrisy. One of the reasons I felt so led to do this Turning Houses into Homes series is because, and I just credit this to my wife, I just praise God for her um, companionship, the mutuality we have in our relationship, where she has spoken into my life, and, and she, would always, she was always saying, Kevin, if we're not doing it here in our home, it does no good to try and do it everywhere else. I, I just say that to you in your own homes, but I say it to us as a church. We desire to make an impact in this community, but when the impact in our own community is around love and we begin present with each other in loving and gracious and truthful ways and we begin to grow in that relationship, God's spirit will explode. And so he makes that statement that's just so... um, For someone prays for peace and love and wasn't able to keep that at home, that's hypocrisy. Julian went on to become a self-taught musician. His father never gave him a music lesson. In fact, Julian says, we sat down once and maybe played five chords. That was all. The interviewer said, Does he, do you, Julian, wish that you had asked more from your dad? Yes and no, says Julian. Why should I have put the effort into bringing him home? It was his responsibility. It wasn't mine to babysit the father. How often do we take legitimate needs that we have and put them on our kids to meet. When asked if he had forgiven his dad, Julian replied, to a certain degree, because he was just 23 when I was born and there were the Beatles whirlwind and all that stuff was going on. But I can't forgive him for not understanding from age 30 to 40 because then he knew that love is necessary for a child. Honestly, I think Julian is no different than any child. They're just waiting for parents and grandparents for us to be fully alive followers of Jesus who show up with our hearts and with his love and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace. I realize, God, that some may feel guilt, um, maybe having missed seasons or windows that they now look back and regret for those times and occasions. But here's the greatest thing, God. I pray now that you would release not a spirit of guilt, because I pray that you would release a spirit of your fresh love and grace that says there's windows ahead of you in your life right now that I am willing to walk with you through. Now, if you're in that place, uh, maybe you're a dad who's between 30 and 40, and you're saying, God, I'm asking you, I'm going to hold your hand, Jesus, right now. Maybe you're a grandparent, and you're saying, you know what, there's some ways that I can be involved in my kid's life. Maybe, God, you could use me to be the most significant spiritual person in their life. God, come in a fresh way and release your grace on us to be people who live and walk in the power and strength and truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.